Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. We come today to the second chapter of the book of Proverbs. The title of the message today, The Value of Pursuing Wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll read the entire chapter in just a moment. And we're going to be in the Proverbs through the summer months of June and July. And just to remind you, Proverbs are part of a biblical genre we call wisdom literature. And that's exactly what Proverbs convey. General truths that when applied to life help one become wise and make good choices. Now, just to remind you, the Proverbs are not promises. They are general truths aimed at helping the reader move towards practical righteousness to help us avoid many of the obstacles and dangers that have wrecked the lives of others that have gone before us. Now, wisdom, which is the ability to make good and God-honoring decisions, is described in the Bible as exceedingly valuable. The classic verse that speaks to the value of wisdom is Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11, which says, For wisdom is better than jewels. And all desirable things cannot compare with her. So this morning, I want to tease that out just a little bit. The question before us is, what makes wisdom so valuable? Well, what makes anything valuable? Well, there are several things that can make something valuable. One is scarcity. Uh, A loaf of bread is pretty easy to get these days. But if we had a famine, the price of bread would go up, wouldn't it? Because of scarcity. Sometimes people ascribe value to things because they're beautiful. Artwork, sculptures, for example. And then a third reason is utility, that is necessity. How badly do we need it to function in life? That's one of the things that makes crude oil so valuable, is that we have to put gasoline in our cars to go to work. So I would argue that wisdom meets all three of those criteria for value. It is scarce, and it is getting scarcer all the time. Your grandmother might have said that common sense is not as common as it used to be. And she'd be right. Uh, It's beautiful. When a life is marked by wisdom, it's a beautiful thing to behold. And it's certainly a necessity. Because of the difficulty and complexity of life, we need wisdom desperately. So let's read our text this morning. And I think the value of pursuing wisdom will become very clear. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my words... And treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of the godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things. From those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the paths of darkness. Who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. 
to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leave the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, when we define what a proverb is last week, I said it's a short statement, easy to memorize, and even children can grasp it right away. Well, chapter 2 is a little different than that. It's not one or two verses. It's actually 22 verses that make up really one continuous stream of thought. One long sentence, you can think of it that way, and it's an if-then statement. And we see that he says, if you'll do this, if you will receive my words, then here is the result that you can expect. And it's written from the perspective of a father who wants his son to make good decisions. He says, my son. Now, many of the Proverbs, particularly the first nine chapters, are written from the perspective of a father seeking to impart wisdom to a beloved son. Now, the title of the sermon today is The Value of Pursuing Wisdom. Now, that title is taken from the first five verses because they are full of action verbs. You might have noticed that as I was reading. A person will not become wise passively. That is by osmosis. It is something that has to be pursued. Now, look look at some of those verbs. Verse 2, he says, Make your ear attentive. That is, listen closely. Incline your heart to understanding. That is, submit yourself. Be intentional about the pursuit of wisdom. Verse 3 says, cry out for wisdom. That is, you're out looking for something that's lost, and you say, where are you? You're calling out to it. And he says, lift your voice to understanding. Verse 4, seek for her as silver. Search for her as hidden treasure. We were watching, my wife and I, just last night, about uh, a man who discovered a sunken ship, and on it were full of treasures. Now, he had studied maps, he had read books, about, he, he came to an understanding about where it was. But if you know how large the ocean is, that's searching for a needle in a haystack. And so he devoted his life to searching for this sunken treasure, and he found it. That is the kind of intentionality, that is the kind of energy that this proverb speaks of we should pursue wisdom with. And the result of that pursuit is found in verses 4 through 6. Look at it. You'll find it. If you seek her as silver, search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So specifically... What is the treasure that you will find if you pursue wisdom with this much energy? What will be the result? Well, number one, wisdom brings security. Look at verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, a few weeks ago, when we were in a series on stewardship, we discussed the sin of hoarding. The idea is that a hoarder won't ever give anything away for fear that they might need it somewhere in the distant future. The reason people hoard, fundamentally, is that they think that things will give them security for the future. 
Well, there is something that we should store up as much as we can, and that is wisdom. We'll surely need it in the future. We need it every day. In fact, verse 7 indicates that God has actually stored it up on our behalf. You know, I love the book of Ephesians. Preach from it often. The book of Ephesians tells us that God gives good gifts to his children according to his riches. That is commiserate with his ability. Does God have a shortage of wisdom? No. In fact, he has stored it up and he's willing and ready to give it to us as the need arises. That's why James says in James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives how. Liberally is one interpretation. That is according to his ability and he will give it. So God is not miserly when it comes to wisdom. He's not hoarding it. He's ready to give it out as you pursue it and as you ask for it. He is rich in wisdom. In fact, the book of Ephesians is often called the storehouse of God's blessings. It's where we go to admire, in the first four chapters, the amazing riches of the Lord who has made those riches available to us, he says, every good blessing. Now, so we know there's no shortage. There is security in the knowledge of plenty. Now, there's a man that I follow who is a vegetable garden, gardener. My heroes used to be football players and baseball players. They're now vegetable gardeners as I've grown older. And, and I watch his program on, on the computer. He was um, a genius of a man. He had a large business in New York City and got tired of that life. So he and his wife moved to upstate New York, bought a piece of rocky land, cleared it, got all the rocks out of it, and now he is known worldwide as the world's best vegetable gardener. And he's made a good business out of it. He goes to local markets on Saturday morning and sells his vegetables. And someone asked him, how do you do so well? Why do people come buy your vegetables and not the people around you? He says, well, I learned one thing. There is security in plenty. And so he just piles up the tomatoes and the cucumbers, and people are attracted to those large piles of vegetables because it gives them a sense of security. There's security and a sense of plenty, and so they'll buy while they're there. And so I think that's a great lesson for us. We need to remember that the Lord has an abundance of wisdom stored up for his people, and there is security in that abundance. And so how do we obtain that abundance? He says, cry out for it. Lift your voice. I take that is, ask him for it. Pray for it. James 1.5, I just said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. In fact, I think I quote that verse too much in this pulpit, if that's possible. Because I think some of you have heard me quote it so much that you think it's just a magic trick. You say the right words and boom, God gives you wisdom. And these verses we're reading today kind of put that notion to rest. Wisdom has to be pursued with great effort. That's God's prescription. You have to find it in the Word. You have to meditate on God's Word. Read it, meditate, memorize it, and then God gives that wisdom primarily through His Word, not by osmosis. There is security in plenty. There's also security in protection. Verse 7b says, He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, this whole chapter is about our walk. The Apostle Paul often talked about the Christian's walk. Our walk is not just putting one foot in front of the other. It's our course of action. It's our habits of life. It's, it's how we live day to day. And he's a shield to those 
whose everyday walk and habit of life is integrity, to do things God's way in the right way. So, so what does a shield do? If God is a shield, what does a shield do? Well, it protects against attacks from the outside. I hope you understand that we have an enemy in the world, don't we? In fact, he is the enemy. Peter says he's like a lion roaming about seeking whom he can destroy. Satan can't have our souls if we're born again, but he'd love to destroy our families. He'd love to destroy our churches. He'd love to destroy our witness. And so we need a shield around us. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So when we run to God, when we seek wisdom from him, it brings us security. It brings us protection. He and his word have been tested. They have found to be strong and trustworthy. And that running to him behind that shield requires faith. Ephesians chapter 6, 6, again, the words of the Apostle Paul says, take on the shield of faith, which quenches every fiery dart of the devil. And so the picture there is Satan is our enemy. He's shooting fiery arrows against us. And that shield of faith, when we find our refuge in God and in his word, provides the wisdom to quench those fiery darts. Now, so first thing we see about wisdom, it brings us security. Secondly, wisdom brings stability. Stability. Let's read on verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice, he preserves the way of the godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will guard you. Note that word, guard you. Understanding will watch over you. And when we were studying the Gospel of Luke, we looked at the historical setting of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus. And it was, of course, set in Israel during the time of the Roman occupation. The Romans, uh, though much hated by the Jewish people, did bring stability to every place that they conquered. They built roads and bridges and infrastructure and because they wanted to get, remember, that tax revenue and those goods and services back to Rome. And that was their entire purpose for conquering more land, to feed that beast back in Rome, that constant need for more. And therefore, they guarded their road system carefully. They arrested many of the roadside bandits, and they carried out, uh, in, in one way of speaking, law and order. And so it brought stability to wherever they conquer. Well, verse 8 indicates that God, in a much greater way, brings stability to our lives and our relationships through wisdom by guarding the paths of justice, righteousness, and equity. Now, we saw last week, by the way, that phrase there, sound wisdom, if we could translate that, that's exactly what it means. He promises to bring stability to our lives particularly in our relationships, because those are the fault lines and the places in which instability tends to raise its head. And, and so in our relationships, what we want to be known for is these three words, righteousness, justice, and equity. And so wisdom, when it's pursued and found, brings the ability to bring that to our relationship. Righteousness means doing what is right by other people. That is, in all your relationships, you do right by other people. Justice is 
the ability to discern right from wrong and one who is the victim and one who's not. And then equity, which is fair and equitable treatment of everyone. That is, you don't prefer the rich or the more educated, that everyone, because they're a human being made in the image of God, is worthy of your fair treatment. Now, then he adds another phrase here, which is, encompasses all the others, and every good course. A course is a path. Remember, we're talking about our walk. The Apostle Paul, again in the New Testament, viewed his life as a race course. And when he came to the end of it, he says, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Uh, he's finished his course. That is, he, he's gone along that path that the Lord had laid out for him. And this proverb tells us that when we pursue wisdom, when we call out for it, when we obtain it, God will give us wisdom for every good course. That is, I take it, he will help us choose the right path and the right course of action. Now, on Wednesday nights through the summer, we're also going to be in the book of Proverbs. And last Wednesday evening, I had the joy of speaking from my favorite proverb, which is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Similar, similar thing here. He talks about the course, the path of our life. He will help us to choose the right path or course of action. Now remember what uh, Yogi Berra is famous for saying. This is his proverb. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now that's not very helpful. But Proverbs chapter 2 is helpful. It tells us that if we pursue wisdom, that every good course will be made available to us. He will show us the right path. And it's not just that you occasionally will make a good decision. You know, if you flip a coin enough times, it's bound to come up heads sometimes, right? And that's kind of how people make decisions. Uh, blind squirrel luck, we used to call it back in Mississippi. You know, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. Even a foolish person, if they make enough decisions, they're bound to make a right one every now and then. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about if you will pursue wisdom intentionally, and every day, prayerfully, the course of your life will be marked by that. You will become known in the community as a person who's wise. And that is something that is worth pursuing. In fact, he says it's uh, worth more than jewels. It's worth more than rubies. Look at verse, four, verse 10. He says, for wisdom will enter your heart. See? It's not just that he'll give you a momentary inclination to go right or left. Wisdom will enter your heart. You will become a wise person, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And the more wisdom and knowledge you attain, the more you want to desire it and to get it and have it to become part of your life. But wisdom does something else in our lives, something um, that is common to the human experience is temptation. In fact, it was even common to the life of the Lord Jesus. Scripture says he's attempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. So, so part of the human experience is this attraction to the wrong path and to wrong choices to sinfulness, in other words. And, and something that wisdom does in those times of temptations is it brings us back. 
Wisdom brings us back. So he spends the rest of the chapter holding up two paths, two courses of life, and how wisdom keeps us on the right path. And so look at verse 11. He says, discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. Now you could write above way, road, or pathway. From the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the paths of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths, there's that metaphor again, the path of life, are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So, so that's the first example he has, is wisdom will bring us back from relationships, whether it's in the business world or friendships, that are dangerous and Harmful. The overarching word in verse 12 is wisdom will deliver you from the path of evil. Reminds us, doesn't it, of Psalm 119, which says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I may not sin against God. Now, you parents hopefully are teaching your children that there are people in the world that on first glance seem wise and attractive and cool, but their lifestyle will lead you astray and wisdom will bring you back. Parents, that's what you need to be doing, pouring wisdom day after day into your children so that when they come in contact with these people, whether it's at college or when they have their first job, that they won't be so attracted to them. They'll remember what the Bible says their path leads to. And so that's why every time I have the opportunity to preach to a group of young people, my text is Psalm chapter 1. You remember the words of the psalmist? He said, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of waters, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Parents, isn't that what you want for your children? For them to have roots that run deep, to live a life that is fruitful for the Lord? Well, he says the thing that will upset that apple cart more than anything else is if they get on the wrong path, if they become entranced by the wrong group. They begin to walk in the council of sinners. They kind of hang around them. Next thing you know, they're standing with them, and by the time it's over, they're sitting in the seat. They've become one of them. And then he contrasts that with the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so. That is, they're not stable in all their ways, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way, that is, the path of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That is, the path of the wicked ultimately ends in pain and death. And so that's why two of our sermons in this uh, eight-week series, one is wisdom about choosing friends, and the other is wisdom about choosing a mate. And so if you want to help your children and grandchildren learn those two things, make sure they're here each and every Sunday this summer. Because God's Word is full of wisdom on these matters. He describes in verses 13 through 15, which I just read, the description of such people. They leave the paths of the uprightness. 
That is, even if they were taught truth in their youth, they depart from it so that they can walk in the paths of darkness. That is, the paths of sin. They delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. That is, not only do they sin, they celebrate their sin. They rejoice in it. They wallow in it. They, they become champions in it and heroes in it. Verse 15, their paths are crooked. Whatever they do is kind of awful. You know people like that? No matter what they do, there's a little shadiness to it in the way they speak or their business dealings and, and, and all of their decisions. And they're devious in their ways. That's they use their lips to deceive. They're dishonest. We need to help our children avoid such relationships because they lead to death. And then in verses 16 through 19, it's not the general relationships that are dangerous and harmful. He becomes very specific. He talks about sexual temptation. And he says wisdom is able to bring us back from sexual temptation. And it's all around us, as you know. Verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, that is a woman who's not your wife, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Here's a young man. Remember, this is a father giving advice to his son. And if this is Solomon, and it likely is, he has a lot of experience in this, doesn't he? He has failed time and time again in his own relationships, and he's seen what pain and agony it's brought in his life, and he's asking his son to not follow in that path. Deliver us from sexual temptation. And, and specifically, adultery. He talks about a woman who leaves her companion of her youth and disregards the covenant that she made before God. Have nothing to do with her. In, in the other Proverbs, he, he talks about ultimately what's going to happen is, is you're going to have a dart like a bird pierced through your heart. And maybe that's literally. Maybe an angry and a jealous husband is going to kill you. Maybe you're going to destroy your life through disease by pursuing these kind of relationships. But he's saying... Wisdom will deliver you from sexual temptation. I had a friend who was fond of saying that the only thing that uh, he couldn't overcome was temptation. <laughs> the only thing he couldn't overcome. But there's temptation all around us. It's not a sin to be tempted. We know that because I just said Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. And this wisdom, when we are tempted, reminds us of what God says in all of these areas of life. And so wisdom brings us back. And ultimately, fourthly and finally, wisdom brings us life. Look what he says in verse 20. So you will walk, again, he's using that extended metaphor of the path of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Now, one of the great themes of the Bible in both the Old and New Testament is that there is a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. Now, you contrast the path of sexual sin in verse 18. He says, for her house, that is the adulteress, sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the cemetery. 
literally is what that says. You contrast the path of sexual sin and its end result with the path of life. Now, what is the path of life? Well, it's defined in Psalm chapter 16, where there's a promise for those who will pursue wisdom. It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So the path of life is the path that leads to God's presence where there is eternal joy. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. I am the way, that means the path, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except to me. There's one way to heaven, and that is through faith in Christ alone. And so that, of course, shows us that what many people think about God in the Bible is not true. See, what many of your friends and colleagues, maybe even you at times, have believed that God is a cosmic killjoy. And he puts all these rules in the Bible to make us miserable, to make sure we're not having too much fun. And that's not the truth. Adrian Rogers used to say, when God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, watch out, hot, don't hurt yourself. And when he says, thou shall do something, he's saying, help yourself to happiness. You need to think about God's wisdom like that. He's not trying to ruin your good time. He's not trying to make your life miserable out of malice. He is a heavenly father who loves his children. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. And I would wager if all of us knew the end from the beginning, there's some paths of life we wouldn't have taken, right? Well, God does know the end from the beginning, and so he leads us to those paths that lead not to temporary pleasure, but to eternal joy, fullness of joy. Now, parents, you're being foolish if you try to keep your children from sinning by telling them it's no fun. Your children are smarter than that. They know it's fun. The Bible says sin has a pleasure how long? For a season. But when that season is over, there is devastation and there is death. God knows that. So he doesn't want us to be satisfied with temporary pleasure. He wants us to pursue eternal fullness of joy. That's how much he loves us. And we enter into that through obedience, which is nothing more than the exercise of biblical wisdom. And I think there's nowhere in the Bible where that's more clear than in God's path and plan for sexuality. One man and one woman in covenant marriage until death separates them. That is the path that leads to fullness and joy. Promiscuity, immorality is a path that leads to death as surely as night follows day. And he's saying, don't go down that path. Don't pursue momentary pleasure that ends up in destruction. And so what we see here is that in wisdom, there is security, there is stability, there is deliverance from temptation, and ultimately there is real joy. Now one more word before we go. 
in the Lord's and in his word, there's also forgiveness and a new start. You see, you may be tempted to think, I'm not going to come in here every week where I've failed and where I've done wrong. Because those of you who did not adhere to God's instructions in the area of sexuality in your youth, or maybe in your relationships, and, and you've made mistake after mistake. See, we're not here to, to pile on you and kick you when you're down and pour salt in your wound. So, so I want to point out right here, there's forgiveness in the Lord. His mercies are new every day. And so keep coming. Because remember what we said last week, you can draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I have failed miserably up to this point. I've set a poor example for my family and my friends and my fellow church members. But with your help from this point on, I'm going to make my decisions based upon the principles of your word. And I can't change yesterday. But you tell me that you're a God of forgiveness and second chances. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. That begins with conversion, doesn't it? Maybe you're here today and all you're hearing is a bunch of ethics and look, ethics and morality will not get you to heaven. <laughs> there are plenty of cults in the world that practice and teach good ethics in the areas of sexuality and material possessions and relationships and marriage and all the things that we're talking about here. Good ethics will not get you to heaven. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father that has reaches heaven except through him. So what we're not teaching you here is how to get to heaven by following rules and regulations. What we're saying is that you have to bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What we taught the children in Bible school last week, that they can't be good enough to enter heaven. They can't do enough good deeds to outweigh their bad deeds. They have to come to him as that tax collector did in the temple, unable to lift his head to heaven, and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Now, if you'll come to the Lord with humility like that, first of all, he'll forgive your sins and save your soul. He'll give you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. And see, when we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says he leads us to all truth. But the way he leads us to truth is by feeding and feasting and meditating on God's Word, including the Old Testament literature books, such as the book of Proverbs. And so don't hear me saying this summer that this is a system of ethics that we're trying to get you to follow. What we're saying is come to Jesus on his terms, which are out, turn pockets, and empty hands, and say, Lord, I'm here reporting for duty, and I want to become a man or I want to become a woman who is known for having wisdom in my heart. You think the Lord would delight to answer that prayer? If 2,000 of his people in Keller, Texas would get on their hands and knees before the Lord and say, Lord, we're your servants. We lack wisdom. Your Bible tells us if we lack wisdom, we can ask of you and you give to all men liberally and upbraideth none. I think the Lord would delight to answer that prayer. And we'd start having homes and government entities and businesses and schools that were marked by the path of life rather than the path of death. Will you join me in that prayer this summer as we study the book of Proverbs? Let's pray that the Lord would do a mighty work in our church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And you've told us in your word today that the path and the pursuit of wisdom is incredibly valuable. Father, as I grow older, I see the value of it more because I see that it's scarce, that few people really practice biblical wisdom. Father, it's beautiful to behold a life that is lived over a long period of time this way. And Father, it is incredibly needed and necessary. The world is, I believe, more complex than it's ever been. There's more dangers, toils, and snares in our children's life than we even dealt with a generation ago. So Father, we need wisdom now more than ever. Father, if we'll pursue it with our whole heart, you promise security and stability and deliverance from temptation. And the ultimate end of a life lived like that is eternal rest and eternal joy. Father, that's what I want for my life, my children, my wife, all these church members, Lord. That's my prayer. Father, I thank you that there is forgiveness. There is a new start through the gospel and through Jesus. So, Lord, I pray if there's one here today who knows you're not in a free pardon of sin, that they wouldn't view the book of Proverbs as a cosmic killjoy, but, Father, they would see in it their need of a Savior and that they would run to Jesus, call out to him, cry out, forgive me, have mercy upon me of sin. Lord, you have promised that when one comes to you that way, you hear them, you forgive them, and you save them. May that be the order of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.